in the present, uh, some of the things that go along with love and sexuality, that there are addictions and there are pains and there are uh, relationships that you're in now that are, that are not where they should be. And so not only in the past, but in the present, this is an area where many of you are wrestling and trying to figure out what your life should be about. And then you look to the future, and for, for many of you, as you look to the future, you have these, these hopes and these dreams for your life. And so for a lot of us, when we begin to look into the future, it, when it comes to, to this area of relationships, there's this fear and this anxiety because we don't know what it's going to look like. And so we, we talk about this every two years because we think it's so relevant for you that you're at a place in your life where this, this is something that you can't escape it's something that you think about, and, and maybe you try not to think about it, but you're in this stage of life where relationships and love and sexuality just seems to be the thing that, that you keep uh, coming back to over and over again. Uh, and, and then that tends to, to, to get worse because you come to college and you have friends who begin to date people, and then they begin not just to date, but it gets really serious. So it goes from just dating to Facebook. They, they go on Facebook, and it becomes official on Facebook. And then within a matter of days or weeks, they're engaged. Uh, I don't know what's up with Crosspoint, but people date like three times to get engaged. And so you see that, and it just freaks you out completely that people would be getting engaged and, and thinking and, and talking about marriage. And then you watch your friends get married, and, and you're excited for them, but you're also freaking out a little bit on the inside and trying not to show it that your friends are now walking down the aisle and starting families and, and having kids. See, things just start to get real, really fast in, in college because you're in this stage of life where in every different realm, in your major and in your future and in your relationships, you're thinking about what the rest of your life's going to look like. And, and, it, and it happens with, with dating and with relationships. We're trying to figure out who we are and who we're going to spend life with. And it just becomes this weighty topic that we have to deal with. And so we begin to wrestle with this, and I want to just talk tonight about two different paradigms for love, that one of them that we've been taught from the world really subconsciously. We've been told something about love. We've been told certain things about how our love lives work all of our lives, and for most of us, we don't even pick up on why we believe what we believe when it comes to this area of our life. And so, so I want to take this paradigm. A, a paradigm is just a, a, a way of thinking. It's a way of figuring out life. And I want to compare that to the paradigm that, that God lays out in Scripture when it comes to this area. That the paradigm of the world versus the paradigm of, of Scripture, the paradigm of God. And what, what I want to show you tonight is that this area is confusing. This area is, is really frustrating for many of us. And I, I think the reason for that is love is confusing for many of us because we have been marketed a product called love that doesn't really exist. And I don't want to dig into that with you for a minute, and you may not believe that at all, but I want to at least get this idea into your mind that for many of us, we're frustrated and confused and fearful because we've been marketed a product called love that does not exist. And so, so most of us don't realize it, but all of our lives we've been taught this paradigm. We, we've been taught about how love works. And so if you think about where you learned about love, hopefully you had some parents who modeled it well for you. Hopefully you had role models who modeled well for you what love should look like. But for most of us, that's not the case. Maybe that was there. But for most of us, we learned from our culture what love's about. So we, we learned from our culture how relationships work. And so we have movies and books and music and TV shows and, and commercials and friends, and all of those are telling us, here's how love works. Here's how relationships work. And, and I'm seeing this in my daughter. I've got a six-year-old little girl, and so I'm seeing these things anew because I'm watching the, the, the things that she's watching, and I'm trying to protect her from that. And I've got a six-year-old little girl, and so as we're watching TV together, I look over at her, and I see her slammed with fairy tales, of this happily ever after. You're going to meet this guy, and man, life's going to be awesome. 
And I see that, and I'm, I'm just praying that, that she'll see through the lies that our culture tells us. I, I see her get a, a freaking Barbie doll. Like, I was the guy that was against Barbie dolls, and here's this Barbie that's telling my little girl, here's what you should look like, and here's where your value is found. And in, in a million different ways, I'm watching my six-year-old little girl just getting slammed with this message from our culture of here's where life is found. Here's what relationships should look like. Here's where you find your value in, in the way that you look and in the way that people look at you. And so we all have that same story. Our culture tells us what love is like, and in many ways it's like an infomercial. Uh, I don't know if you've ever gotten stuck on an infomercial. Uh, I try not to, but occasionally I'll be flipping through the channels and I'll, I'll hit an infomercial and I'll stop just for a minute because I want to see the ridiculous thing they're trying to sell me through an infomercial. And so I'll sit there for a minute and usually I just begin laughing at the product, but every now and then they're selling something on there that's actually pretty cool. And so I'll sit there for a minute and I'll, I'll look at the product and at first I'm like, man, this is so dumb. Who would ever buy this? And then, then like three minutes later, I haven't turned the channel, I should have, but I'm, I'm still sitting there looking at this product and I'm, I'm beginning to buy what they're telling me. And they're telling me how terrible my life is without that thing and I'm beginning to, I'm like, man, you're right. My, my life would be so much better if I had a Snuggie. And, and if, my, if my Snuggie had a pocket for the remote control, man, life would be awesome. And so I'll sit there for a minute and I'll listen to it and I'll, I'll begin to just kind of agree with them. Man, my life isn't that great. You're right. I, my arms are freezing and they don't go under the blanket. That's, you're dead on on that. And I'll, and I'll begin to, to buy in and then I don't know if you've ever bought anything off of that, but usually what happens, you buy the product and you get it and what happens? It's awful. Your arms are still cold. The remote pocket doesn't really work right. You buy this product that has been promised to you that's it's going to change your life. It's going to be great. You get it, and the things that they promise never are what, they're, what, what they say. And, and, and this is how I think a lot of times love and relationship works in our world. The, the world is telling us these certain things about happily ever after and about finding the right person and about how life and love is going to work. And so we listen to it, and even though it may sound stupid, we begin to buy into it and think, yeah, that's how it's going to work. And, and then we buy this product called love that our, our world sells to us, and it happens, and then we realize it wasn't at all what they promised it wasn't at all what they told us it was going to be like. It's, it's harder than it looked, and it's, it's come with all these different struggles that we had no idea, and it's not happily ever after, and there's just problems that they didn't tell us going into it. And, and so I want to just take these two paradigms tonight, and here's, here's what I want to do. I want to deconstruct just for a moment what you hear from the world. And I want to just run a formula by you and ask you if this sounds familiar at all to you in what you've heard and learned from movies and TV and commercials and friends. I want to just lay this before you and ask you to begin to think through where you learned what you learned about relationships. And I just want to take a few seconds to deconstruct a few of the things that we are constantly told. And then I want to take a few seconds to reconstruct what God has told us about relationships. And I, and I want to challenge you to, to take this, this formula that God's going to give us for love and relationships and begin to try to apply it to your life and see if things don't go differently than they've gone for you in, in your past. And so, so I want to, as, as we jump into these two formulas, a lot of this, uh, I'm going to be going quickly, a lot of this I stole directly from a book by a guy named Chip Ingram. So I want to just tell you, this is like my footnote. When you plagiarize somebody, you, you footnote it and you feel better about it. Uh, a lot of this stuff I read a few years back and it's by a pastor named Chip Ingram in a book called Love, Sex, and Lasting Relationships. Phenomenal book. Uh, if you're interested at all in what I'm saying tonight, he goes way more in depth to a lot of the things that I'm going to talk about, but I would encourage you to, to get that book and check it out. 
also, as we go, I'm going to put a lot up on the screens. Uh, I'm a visual guy, so it helps me, and I'm a note taker, so hopefully that'll help you. Uh, if I go too quickly and you miss something or if you have questions about it, man, feel, feel free to email me. My email is just kyle at gracebiblechurch.com. I would love to, to sit down and, and try to explain t- uh, to you anything that, that I may go too quickly through. Uh, so, so here's the first paradigm. Uh, this is what, what I call the world's formula for relationships. This is what we've been marketed. This is the infomercial that, uh, not, really, uh, not really blatantly, but we've, been, we've learned this throughout our lives, that, that this is how relationships work, uh, that, that our job is to find the right person. And so this is where many of you are right now. You haven't found the one. You haven't found that right person. And the world tells us if you find the right person, everything will just work. And that someday you're going to find the right person. And the second step is you just fall in love. And so it's this magical journey that you go on. You're just looking for that person. When you find the right person, you're going to fall in love. It's going to be magical and exciting. And then you're going to fix all of your hopes and dreams on this person for your future fulfillment. And so that person is going to fix all the brokenness you feel now. That person is going to make you feel complete in in a way you've never felt it before. You pin all your hopes and dreams on this person for everything in your future. And then if failure occurs, you just start over. So if if failure occurs, if it doesn't work out, you you must not have found the right one. And so you just start over and over again. And this is the process that many of us have gone down. We've gone down this road many, many times. And it's the reason why many of us are scarred the way we're scarred. We've bought into this lie that I just need to find the right person. I need to fall in love. I'm going to place all my hopes and dreams on that person. And then if it doesn't work out, I'm just going to go to the next person and hope that they're the right person. And so, see, this is the, the product of love that, that we've been sold. This is what we've been told from the time we were little. And, and so I, I want to just deconstruct that a bit. And, and I want you to begin to think through what you've heard and, and where you've heard it from. And, and I want to begin with that, that first point, find the right person. I just want to think about that for a minute. I call the, that, that first point, find the right person, the, the you complete me myth. Uh, how many of you have seen Jerry Maguire? Y'all old? Is that in your, have you seen that movie? Enough of you? Y'all are young, and so I don't know if you've seen the same movies I have. Uh, there's this scene where Tom Cruise is there with, what's her name? Renee Zellweger, there we go. And all movie, they've had this little romance going on. And finally, at the end of the movie, Tom Cruise goes rushing in. It's a, it's a scene where there's a room full of women. And he runs in and he grabs Renee Zellweger. The girls already know. You're already like crying because you remember what it looked like. But he grabs her and he gives this long speech and he finally just says, you complete me. And like all the girls in the theater were crying and like, oh, that's so great. That's awesome. See, this is the you complete me. We, we, we see things like that. And, and this is the kind of stuff that begins to get into our minds. That that's how love's going to work, that I'm going to find somebody who's going to complete me. I'm, I'm going to find somebody who uh, I, I know that I'm broken. I know that right now things are not right. I, I know that I, I crave relationships. I, cl- I crave to be loved and accepted. I, I feel empty and lonely. And so we begin to buy into this idea that if we just find the right person, we're going to be complete. That, that we're going to find wholeness and we're going to find a, a solution to our brokenness in another person. And so what we need to be doing is just going through life on search for this, this someone. It's almost like a hunt for a unicorn. We just need to be looking for it everywhere. Where, where's, the, where's the right person? They could, they could be here tonight. And so you walked into this room and you need to make sure you smell good. You need to make sure you brushed your teeth. Because who knows when this chance encounter with the, the right one will come about. But you go through life on this search. You, you need to find this person. You need to find the one who will complete you and make you happy and fulfilled in life. But see, the problem with that is that you are broken and and the person that you are looking for, no matter how great they are, they are broken as well. 
And, and when you put two broken people together, you get more brokenness. Uh, many couples see this in the first year of marriage. They fight like crazy because it's a broken person and a broken person being broken together and sinfulness just begins to show itself. But see, the world feeds this. We're, we're told that, that a key, the key to a happy life is just to find the right person, that, that we need to search for the one who was made just for you, and when you find them, life will be good. That, that he or she is out there somewhere, and so we need to be on the lookout. We, we need to be waiting to meet them and then to experience this magical experience. And, and this is how love starts according to our world, according to our culture. Your, your, your life isn't good because you just haven't found the right person. Your, your life isn't complete because there's someone out there that you need to be searching for. And so, so what's wrong with that view? What, according to Scripture, what, what does Scripture say about that that's wrong? And I want to show you a passage from Matthew chapter 6. We're going to jump around to a few passages tonight. But, but listen to what Jesus said. Jesus was talking to a group of people who were worried about their lives. And they weren't worried about their dating lives. That's a problem that's pretty unique to us. They, they were worried about what they were going to eat and what they were going to wear. And so Jesus is standing before this crowd. They're, they're worried about the basic necessities of life. And he stands before them. And I want you to listen to his words and, and think about the application of these words to uh, the, this, the, the, the dating thing that we have a longing for. Jesus stands up before this crowd. And he says this, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these." But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today is alive, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, Where shall we eat? Or what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? You can add in there, Where am I going to find this person? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, the food, the, the clothing, all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own troubles. See, see Jesus is speaking about the deepest needs of humans, food and, and clothing, and his message is pretty simple. He's telling these people to, to trust God, trust God to provide what you need. Trust God that he's going to provide exactly what you need, exactly when you need it. And he's telling them and he's telling us that, that we don't need to be worried about things that we can't control, that, that, that we're not to live like people who don't believe that, that God exists. And, and that one little line in there, Matthew 6, 33, it, it'll change the way you approach life, not just dating, not just relationships, but every area. Jesus looks at this crowd who's worrying about their lives, and he says, listen, here's, here's your job. You seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and you leave everything else to me. You run after me with all your heart. You seek me. You, you come and find me, and everything else, food, clothing, relationships, jobs, every other part of your future, I'm going to give to you when you need it. See, it's this incredible challenge and this incredible promise to us that we don't need to go through life on a search for the right person. That the person that we need to be seeking after is, is God. He, he tells us to pursue him wholeheartedly, to, to learn to trust him, 
that our task is to see God, to, to live with him and to know him more and more. And his promise is that he's going to provide the other stuff that we think we need to live life. And, and that other stuff includes this relationship with, with a person that God intends for you in the timing that he has set out for you. See, he knows what he's doing. He says, seek me, seek me with all your heart. Seek after me and let me provide these other things that you think you need for life. And so back to the world's formula here, that we're told that we need to find the right person and, and, and there's just something wrong with that because here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying that, that if, if I'm expecting anyone or anything other than God to complete me, I will always be incomplete. If, if you're a note taker, if, if you write things down, I want you to, to write this down and keep it in front of you that this is the message of scripture over and over again. And especially when it comes to this area of relationships where many of us have this idol. We have this desire for a guy or a girl and, and the desire is not a bad thing. See, the problem is it becomes the center of our lives. It becomes the, the search above all other searches that we need to find someone else who will make us happy. And the scripture tells us if I'm expecting anyone or anything other than God to complete me, I'm always gonna be incomplete. And so I don't know where you are in that tonight, but this for me was a breakthrough. Um, I went through life, I've got parents who will be married for 40 years in June, an incredible set of parents. And, and I remember looking at them and seeing that, that they made each other happy, and so I picked up along the way somewhere, I need to find someone else to make me happy. I'm broken and I'm empty and some things in my life are good, but I'm not complete, and so my life will be complete when I find that person. And so in high school, what happened for me, I began to, to get into these relationships thinking this person's gonna make my life good, and it never happened. And, and so I would go from relationship to relationship thinking the next one's gonna be the one that makes me happy. The next one's gonna be the one that, that makes me feel, feel complete and, and feel this, this brokenness, it's fixed. And see, it took me a long time to learn this, that scripture tells me that that's an idol and that, that if I'm expecting anyone or anything other than God to complete me, I will always be incomplete. And so, so find the right person. This is what we've always been taught and, and I want you to see that it's a lie. And, and then I want you to think about the second part that you find the right person and the world tells us you just fall in love. And so uh, you're walking down the street and, and we see this portrayed in movies and literature all the time. You're walking down the street and you just find this person and something just happens and you just know. And so there's just some kind of subtle eye contact and then uh, fireworks go off and then music starts playing and it starts raining and before you even know their name, you're just making out. You're like, man, it just happened, it just happened. And this is how we see this thing play out all the time. It's just something that, that just happens. It's this magical experience that we just find this person and we just fall deeply in love with them and then life just happens. And it's good. And it sounds really nice and it sells really, really well. You'll go see that movie and you'll read that book because it gives us hope, but it's a lie. See, we're told that, that, that we fall into love. That the world talks as love as something that we fall into like, like some kind of magic and so many of us have modeled the way we treat relationships after this. And so, so I just want you to think about how relationships tend to happen in our culture, and it really mirrors our belief that that's going to happen. Uh, for most people, how do relationships start? Uh, for you, most of the time, how does a relationship start? You see somebody you think's hot. All right, step one. They're hot. Maybe they'll think that I'm somehow approachable and they, they like me as well. But that's, that's step one. It's this physical thing that I see somebody that I'm attracted to and so that's how it begins. And there's this physical attraction and usually with the physical attraction, there's this deep emotion that goes with it. And, and so the, these fireworks go off. Uh, the, the fireworks have a scientific name. They're called hormones. Your body has them. 
so there's this phase where you're physical and you're emotional, and so you feel these fireworks as the hormones go off that come within a relationship, and if they feel the same way, the relationship begins completely based on physical appearance and the emotions that go with that. And many times, because of this, relationships get physical way before any other part of the relationship develops. And we see it happen over and over again that, that, that a guy and a girl meet, and the first thing that happens is they get extremely physical extremely quickly. And there's this physical and emotional high that, that people tend to ride at the beginning of the relationship in this physical and emotional phase. And, and this is much of what our culture calls falling in love. It's just this physical, emotional infatuation with somebody that for a little while is really exciting, really fun, but tends to fade over time. And so if you think about your relationships or if you think about the relationships you see, if you think about the reason that most people in Hollywood have been married like 12 times, that they, they fall in love, meaning there's a physical, emotional attraction. And then what happens is after a while, that begins to wane. It begins to, to, to be less than it was before. And so they move from this physical, emotional phase to what is called the, the social friendship stage. In, in other words, there's al- already a deep level of physicality going on, and they begin to think, maybe we should be friends as well. Maybe we should begin to try to figure out if we actually have something in common beyond the physicality of our relationship. Maybe we should like the same things and have some things in common. If, if we're really going to spend the rest of our lives together and be in a relationship that matters, we should probably have the same goals, the same values, the same aspirations. And so we move into this, this social friendship phase. And more than likely, they drive you crazy and you drive them crazy and you find out that you have nothing in common besides liking to make out. And so the relationship likes, sometimes ends here. And it becomes really, really awkward because you've already become physical and now you're trying to somehow squeeze friendship into that. And and then if the relationship continues, the the third phase is what we call the spiritual phase. And this is where for a lot of people they realize, man, our relationship is so shallow. Our, Our relationship is built purely on physical and emotional and we've tried to become friends. You know what we should do? We should try to squeeze God somewhere into this. So so there comes this phase where because we feel guilty and because we still feel empty and because the emotional part of the relationship is over, we then try to squeeze God into it and it just doesn't doesn't work. And and so we repeat what we we saw there in this, this pattern. We go back to step one. We try to find the right person again. We try to fall in love again. We put our hopes in this person and it fails. And over and over again, we're, we're on this hamster wheel that just keeps damaging us more and more. Because with every relationship, we feel a little bit of ourselves go with that, and eventually they all blow up. And, and you get hurt, and they get hurt, and, and you wonder why. And it's because you have fallen for a product that doesn't exist. You, you've bought something called love that isn't really love. And, and so this is the world's paradigm for love. You find the right person, you fall in love, and you fix your hopes and dreams on them, and then if failure occurs, you repeat steps one, two, and three. But what I want to show you is that, that, that actually all those parts that we just talked about are parts of love. All of those parts, the physical part, the emotional part, the, the, the social part, the spiritual part, that all of those are parts of love that God has designed. The problem is our world teaches us to do it in, in the wrong order. It, it teaches us to approach relationships exactly backwards from what God says. See, if you read the scriptures, I want to show you this. There are actually three words that the Greeks use for love, and the scripture uses these three words. Each of them have a very, a very specific meaning when it comes to love. Uh, there's one Greek word that, that is eros. This is physical or emotional love. 
This is the love of sexual passion. And so this is what I was talking about that early on, many of us go way too quickly on this one. There's this eros love that the Bible describes, and this is a reminder that, that sex was God's idea, that sexuality was something that he created and that he gave to us for good. And, and so I, I think we get these wrong ideas in our head. I think we imagine that God created Adam and Eve, and then he looked down in the garden, and they were having sex, and he was like, oh, my gosh, what are they doing? That, that's not what happened. See, he created them and gave them this as a gift. Well, listen to the words of Proverbs 5. 18 and 19, it describes this component of love that he has designed. He says, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, you can try that out on your woman if you want to, call her a lovely deer. A graceful doe, let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. See, this eros part of love, this sexual component of love is something that, that, that he created and that he gave to mankind for good. But like everything else that he created, we take his creation and take it out of the environment for which it was created and we begin to sin with it and do what we want. And it always becomes destructive. Uh, The entire book of Song of Solomon in the Old Testament, if you've ever read that, it talks about this sexual component of a relationship that God has created and given to us within the bounds of marriage for our good. And it describes it. In fact, it's, it's, so, uh, it's so graphic in its description that the Jewish people would not let their kids read it until they reached a certain age. See, this was God's idea. It was his design. He's designed this eros love, this physical and emotional component of love to, to be a part of our lives and a part of our relationships for a reason. Uh, the, the second word that the Bible uses is this, phileo. Uh, phileo describes this social, this, this friendship kind of love. Uh, it's the love of best friends. And so Romans 12, 9 uses this word. It tells us to love one another with brotherly affection. And so this is describing the love that you have with the people that you're closest to. It's this deep connection, this deep friendship, this deep caring for one another, not in a sexual way at all, but in a a deep friendship kind of way. And this is the thing that most of us are after, and most of us don't know how to to put words to it, but but we're after intimacy with, with our friends and with relationships. And what intimacy means is that we are fully known and fully loved, that, that there are people who, knows, who know everything about us, the, the good things, the bad things, the, the things that we don't want anybody else to know, that there are people that know that and they still love us. See, that's intimacy. That's what your heart longs for, is that there would be people that are that close to you, that, that know everything about you and that have every reason to walk away and reject you, and yet they still choose to love you and to, and to pursue you the way God has. See, see that's phileo. It's this, this social friendship kind of love that God has designed for us to walk in. So so eros is this sexual kind of love. Phileo is this friendship kind of love. And then the one that you're probably most familiar with, the Bible talks about agape. It's the the most common one used in scripture and it's this unconditional sacrificial love. And it's the one that the Bible describes for us when it tells us the way that God treats us and the way that uh, uh, God God pursues us with this unconditional love. And and there are many, many passages, 1 Corinthians 13. uh, this This word is used over and over again in Scripture, but I love 1 John 4, where it just lays this word out over and over again. And it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. 
And the Bible just lays out this agape kind of love. It says this is an unconditional love that God has shown to you and that when you understand it, you can begin to show to others. And and so so what I want to show you in that is that the Bible uses these three words to describe these different aspects of love. But, But even more important than understanding the words is thinking about the order of these within your relationship. See, the, the Bible tells us that, that there's a very specific way we're to approach relationships, and, and this is what it should look like. That the Bible tells us that every single one of our relationships should be based on this agape kind of love. And so whether they are your friend, whether they are someone you're dating, whether they're your enemy, the Bible says that when we understand what God has done for us through Christ, that agape becomes what flows out of us. That we have been loved unconditionally, we have been loved sacrificially, and so the more we begin to get that, it becomes the foundation for all of life. It becomes foundational for the way that you treat your friends. It becomes foundational for the way you treat those who wrong you. It becomes foundational for the way you treat your dating relationships. So we're told that there's this base level of agape love that when we understand that, you can see how secure that begins to make your relationships. That agape, unconditional love is, is the foundation. And then we're told that, that on the base of agape, we begin to, to stack phileo love. And so in the context of your dating relationship, it goes from you finding a, a guy or a girl who are pursuing Christ at the same level that you are and then beginning to be friends with them, beginning to share life with them, beginning to see that here are the things that we have in common. Here's the vision for my life that I think God has called me to and her vision for life seems pretty similar to that. It's the sharing of the good times and the bad times that you've been through. Uh, So so we do a ton of premarital counseling, and this is the one we tell them, before you get married, you need to know everything about each other. That that you as a a fiancé need to be be humble enough and need to be courageous enough to lay out all of your life, good things and bad things, and share those with your future spouse because that's how intimacy happens. You, You can't be fully loved if you're not fully known. And so, so we stack on agape, this phileo love, and then the Bible tells us that the final piece of the puzzle is the piece that we normally put first. That the final piece of the puzzle, the final act of, of a husband and wife becoming intimate with one another is sharing the physical part of that relationship, of entering into sexuality together, to, to experiencing this eros love that is meant for a husband and wife to share with each other. And so this is how Scripture tells us that we're to lay out relationships. Look at how we normally do it. We normally flip that completely upside down. Like I said, everything is built on eros. Everything is built on excitement and sexual passion and and the emotional part of it. And then we try to somehow become friends on top of that and then somehow squeeze in some kind of spirituality. And this thing keeps on falling over again and again. It keeps collapsing on us and we don't understand why. And this is what the world's formula produces. It produces relationships that are broken. It produces people who don't understand why this thing doesn't work over and over again. See, we've bought into this product called love that doesn't exist. We've bought into this this idea that it's going to work out the next time for us. We've listened to our our culture rather than our creator. And so that's that's the deconstruction part of this. I want to just spend a few minutes reconstructing. Maybe you've been down that road and you see, man, I followed that for a while and it doesn't work. Where do I go? How do I do things right? How do I do things the way that God has, has instructed us to? And I want you just to look at, at, at the, the world's formula and I want you to think about what, what the scripture is going to tell us. See, Philippians chapter 5, I'm just going to talk about two verses here, but it gives us uh, a, a little bit of a foundation for relationships. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, and it's going to lay out uh, what, what God has called us to in terms of our relationships. It says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children 
and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Uh, That passage is much bigger than just dating and relationships, but it it gives us great guidance in terms of how our dating and relationship lives should look like. So so I want you just to begin to compare and contrast the the, the formula we just looked at with this. See, the the world tells us that we need to find the right person. That that passage just told you that you need to become the right person, that that you're not to be on this, this look for someone else to make your life great, that you're actually to be seeking after God and that God has called you to be an imitator of him as a beloved child. Not, not to look for the right person, but to become the right person. It, it tells you not to fall in love. What does it tell you? But walk in love. That this agape love should be something that you walk in, that you, you, you experience from God and that you give to others continually. That, that you are to walk in love as Christ loved you and gave himself up for you. That this should be the pattern of your life and that you shouldn't fix your hopes and dreams on a person, but on, on God for your future fulfillment. And, if, and then if that doesn't work, you start over again and there's no damage done. Because you're walking down this road, working on, God, what have you called me to be? How can I be more fully the son or daughter that you've called me to be? And, and how can I walk in love and, and look for relationships, but, but understand that when the right time and the right person comes, you're going to make that obvious to me. I don't have to search for it. And, and if, if it doesn't happen the way that I want it to happen, I, I trust you, and I know that your plan and your timing and the doors you shut and the doors you open, I know that all of that is for my good because I'm your son or your daughter. I'm your, I'm your beloved your beloved child. And so we're told to become the right person. And, and I would encourage you to, to look at your life and, and answer this question, is this what's happening in your life? Rather than looking at your brokenness and expecting somebody else to come fix it, are you looking to God to fix it? Are, are you understanding what, what Paul wrote in, in the entire beginning of the book of Ephesians, which is telling you who God is and what he's done to adopt you into his family so that you can be called a dearly beloved child of God. See, see we all experience emptiness and, and loneliness. This is the result of sin. We, we all feel broken and lonely and empty, but the answer is not find another person. The answer is God has come for you. He's come and sent his son, and the, the sin that, that creates separation between you and him, that's why you feel empty, that's why you feel broken, that's why you feel lonely, and no human relationship's gonna fix that. And so we begin by, by looking to him and understanding what he's invited us into, that he's called us to imitate God as beloved children. And he points to the adoption that happens through faith in Jesus, that, that when we trust him, he forgives us and brings us into his family, and we learn to be loved there. We, we are bathed with the agape love of God and we begin to see how all of our needs are met in Jesus as we're completely known and completely loved by him. And see, as, as you begin to experience that kind of love, you begin to imitate that in your relationships with other people. You're loved completely and so that you're free to love others completely. Uh, you, you've had all your needs met by Jesus so, and so you can go into relationships not to get something from somebody but actually to give to them. And as you begin to trace through this, I hope you understand that, that only secure people can truly love. Uh, if you are insecure, you cannot love somebody. O- only secure people who have had their needs met in, in Christ can go and serve and, and love others. See, see, this is what becoming the right person means. You, you follow after Jesus. You understand more and more that your identity is in him. Your, your value is in him. You allow him to meet your needs. You, you follow him and obey him and trust him to lead you and tell you what to do for your good. And, and quite frankly, this is why some of you don't need to date for a while. 
Um, I'm not going to give you a time limit. I'm not going to tell you don't date for a year, but I am going to tell you if your identity has not been found in Christ, you don't need to date for a while. Uh, you, you need to, to t- take a step back and realize that, that Christ has offered you something that you need to take. Uh, in my life, there was a year and a half. Uh, I'd gone through several relationships that all ended badly, all ended with a train wreck. And, and I got to this place in my life, and I began to, to look and, and try to figure out why that was. And, and as I looked at, at, at my life, I realized that those relationships were all idols in my life, that I was hoping that, that a girl could give me this value, that a girl could meet the needs that I have. And, and so I just remember, I, I just stopped and said, God, I'm not going to date again until I understand what it means to be your son. And it doesn't mean that you come to a place where you get everything perfect, and it doesn't mean that, that you've got everything figured out when you begin dating, but it means you have centered your life again on Christ. You've said, listen, I'm not going to go to another person to give you only what you can give me. I'm going to find life in you and follow you, and I'm going to be the person that you're calling me to be. See, our, our culture tells us to find the right person. Our creator tells us to be the right person. Our, our culture tells us to fall in love. Our, our, our creator tells us to walk in love that we are to follow after God and to, to begin with agape love with every person we're in a relationship with, with every person we come into contact with. So, so again, think about that. What would your relationships look like if agape love was a foundation? They would look completely different. If agape love was a foundation, what that means is you are walking into a relationship saying this, if I'm not the right person for you, I want to know that and I want to get out. If I'm not the person that God has for you, I don't want to stand in the way of that. See, see, that's what unconditional love looks like. It means I want the best for you, whether that involves me or not. I want the best for you. See, see the relationship looks completely different, founded on this agape love. It means that, that we hold these things open-handedly, and as we date, we continue to pursue God's will for this person, whether it's us or whether it's not us. It means that, that when you begin to, to pursue marriage, that when you find that person you're going to marry, that you want that person to be closer to Jesus than you want them to be to you. That, that I want you to be closer to Jesus than, than to me. I want you to pursue Christ harder than you're pursuing me. I want you to spend more time with Jesus than you spend time with me. That is completely uh, opposed to my flesh. But it's my desire for my wife that she would be closer to Jesus than she is to me because of me. And guys, if you're wondering what it means to be a spiritual leader, that's the essence of it. That my wife may be closer to Jesus because of me. And women, if you're looking for a guy that is worth leading, that's what's worth leading. That this guy wants me to be closer to Jesus than he does want want me to be close to him. So, So looking at your relationships, is that where they are? Not that she's perfect or he's perfect, but he is genuinely pursuing after Christ with all of his heart or with all of her heart. And her desire for you is that you would be closer to Christ, that you would grow in him and and love him more and and see your role as a son or daughter of Christ more and more. And so use that test with your relationships. Am I closer to God because of this person's role in my life? Is that a yes or a no? And you need to use this on the the flip side as well. Is that person closer to God because of my role in their life? See, if you can answer yes to both of those, I think you're in a pretty healthy relationship, that that person's closer to God because of me and I'm closer to God because of her or him. But if your answer is no, I, I think you need to slow down. And I think you need to sit down and, and, and really sit down and have a face-to-face and talk about what, what are we after here and what God's doing. See, you, you begin with agape and then you add in phileo, this, this love of friendship. And then the last component is eros, the, the physical part of the relationship. And Terrell's gonna talk a lot more about that next week. We, we do relationships the way that God has told us to do it. See, our, our, our 
culture tells us to fall in love, our creator tells us to walk in love. And as we begin to, to live out God's formula for relationships, we begin to see that he offers us life in this. And so I don't know where you are tonight. Uh, I know that, that many of us enter this place confused and, and we've got regrets and pain from the past. We've got struggles in the future. We've got fears in the future. We, we've got a culture who is so much louder many times than our creator. And I think tonight for many of you, he's calling you just to take a step back and to begin to evaluate the way you look at this, this whole area of your life. And I want you to know whatever your past is and wherever you're at now, whatever your, your present struggle is, whatever that thing is that you don't want anybody else to know about, I want you to know that God's not angry at you. He loves you. And because he loves you, he's calling you to take a deep breath and really be honest about where you are and take steps to deal with the places that, that you're not in a good place. And so the gospel is this good news that over and over again, a loving God calls us to repent and believe. Repent means change your mind. That tonight he's showing you these things that maybe you've never seen before and not in an angry way, but in a loving way. He's calling you to repent and believe the gospel. That you can change your mind and change the way you're living your life and that you can believe the good news that Christ came and died and covered every mistake you've ever made. That he came and died and that he's not surprised by the struggles that you're facing now. He's not surprised by the the things you've messed up in the past. He's not surprised by the, the future anxiety that you have. All of those he paid for on the cross and he invites you again tonight to repent and, and believe the gospel. And, and so as we close tonight, uh, I know many of you have stuff in your past that hurts. Uh, many people have made mistakes in this area and, and there's these deep regrets and these deep scars and there's, there's guilt some places for things that we've done to others. There's anger for things that, people have, things that others have done to us. And I want us just to have some time to stop and, and breathe and invite God in wherever we are. I want you to leave this place feeling hope that God loves you and that no matter how dark things are, no matter how bad you feel like you've messed it up, God's calling you home again tonight. And he's inviting you to, to, to come no matter how impure you feel to, to make you pure again. And so we're gonna sing. I wanna, I wanna just leave you with two verses that I hope will just wash over you as we sing these songs. Some beautiful verses, some beautiful reminders for those of us who feel like we've already messed it up. For those of us who feel like we're too far gone, Isaiah 1:18, uh, God is looking out at a sinful people and he's just begging with them. And, and these are his words, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are, like, they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Many of you here tonight, you just feel dirty and broken and, and hopeless. And there's a promise from God that he will make you pure again, he will make you new again. And so I hope tonight this will be a night that many of you take him up on that offer that God, I've, I've messed it up and I feel, I feel so far gone and I feel dirty and I feel ashamed and I feel like I wanna run from you. But I see that tonight you're inviting me to run to you. First uh, John 1, it says this, this is the message that we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Uh, I pray tonight that those words will just rush over you and that whatever's happened in your past and wherever you are presently, whether it's addiction or, or struggling with your body image or in a relationship that's broken, that, that those words will wash over you. That, that, that tonight Christ may be calling you into the light, which means I'm going to acknowledge the brokenness and the wrong things and the things that are holding me back from him and I'm gonna walk into the light and let him heal me there. 
And I'm gonna let forgiveness and cleansing take place. So we're gonna sing some more. And as we sing, this is a time to pray together. There are people here who 